sermon lesson this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The text is up on the screen, and I'd love to have you read it with me. Will you do that? Will you do that? All right, together, please. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the Word. Now, if you were going to put this passage to music, it would probably sound like this. Rejoice in the love. The love that we 
That does not represent the management of Bel Air Presbyterian Church. <laughs> Don't send your emails to me. Send them to Bob Lee. They did a great job, didn't they? Give them a hand. I walked into a store the other day, and there was a whole display of discounted chocolates, leftover stuff from Valentine's Day. And there were the heart-shaped boxes. There was the Whitman sampler. And of course, everything was half price. Now, I looked at all of that, and I thought, now what fool would buy that stuff? I mean, if you're just going to buy it because you like chocolate and you want to eat some chocolates, God bless you. But if whatever you do, don't give it away to anybody. When you fall in love, it's really a chemical cousin to an amphetamine. When people fall in love, they get all mushy, and there's kind of a euphoria that goes with it. Their palms, even their palms, begin to sweat, and their heart begins to pound. They're falling in love. Something unique is happening to them, and it is subjective, but a chemical cousin to an amphetamine. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter in the Bible. It concludes with simply these words, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. God's redemptive program is reduced to this. God's love persists. And it doesn't matter where you go, who you are, or what you do, God's love persists for you and for me. That love persists through adversity, through depression, through ecstasy, through grief, that love persists for us over and over again. And the better you understand the cost of Calvary, the better you understand your net worth. And what we know is that God's love for you in Jesus Christ never gives up on you. Oh, we may give up, but the love of Christ never gives up on us. I'm old enough to remember the Beatles back in the 60s. Any of you remember the Beatles? Yeah, they had a song that went like this. All you need is... Da-da-da-da-da. Remember that? All you need is love. Da-da-da-da. Yeah, and then they had another one that was Can't Buy Me Love, and then Paul McCartney sang this. When I get older, losing my hair, many years from now, will you still... And it's, will you still need me, friends, in case you blew it? <laughs> and will you still feed me when I'm 64? There it is. You know, the Beatles' love went cold. The band broke up. Their marriages all broke up. And we long for a love that will not grow cold. We long for a love will not be impulsive, a love that will not diminish, a love that will not quit on us. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to this little struggling Christian community in the thriving city of Corinth. 
In the first century, Corinth had about 200,000 citizens. In addition to that, it had over 500,000 slaves. Now, Corinth was on an isthmus, a five-mile isthmus between the Aegean Sea and the Adriatic. And because of its unique geographical location, ships would portage their material across the five miles. Or if they were small ships, they'd put them on logs and just simply roll the ship across the five miles. Because of that unique location, Corinth became a real center for a variety of philosophies. People from all over the world came there. It also became a center for theological insights because people came from all over the world with various theological points of view. It was a center for economics. It was a very affluent city. But it was also a center for sexual promiscuity. How's that? Because if you go to Corinth today, you look at the ruins, and 1,800 feet up there, above them, is a plateau. And on the plateau was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And at night, the path snaked up the 1,800 feet and was all lit up with torches. There were a 1,000, scholars say, a 1,000 priestesses up there at the temple of Aphrodite. But they weren't really priestesses. They were prostitutes. And so they would lure people into worship with lust-filled nights and rites. And the Apostle Paul says, you may think that's love, but let me introduce you to the love of God in Jesus Christ. The contrast is severe. And that's why he says in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Mirrors didn't come along till the 13th century. So what's he talking about? He's talking about polished bronze. And they knew that the polished bronze gave them an image back, but it was imperfect. And Paul's saying, the love that you think you know something about is imperfect next to God's love for you in Jesus Christ. My Sports Illustrated arrived this week. <laughs> the swimsuit edition. And Mrs. McKechnie wasn't just sure what to do with it. And so I walked in, and on the hall table, it was sitting there face up and a very attractive young woman, barely clothed, on the front of the thing. And she said, you know, I decided I was going to turn it over. Turned it over, and there were three young women, <laughs> barely clad. And Linda McKechnie explained to me that these women did not swim in these things. <laughs> but you know, the lust of this world is so inferior to God's love for us in Jesus Christ. It's two different worlds. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. When you invest in agape love, there are dividends, temporal and eternal. And that kind of love is not just hung up on emotion. It's committed to convictions. It was a Friday afternoon. I was minding my own business. A woman came charging into my office, and she poured out a sad, sad story about her husband that had run off with a young woman. I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And so we talked a little bit, and she said, well, I'm going to take revenge. I said, really? And what kind of revenge? She said, I'm going to let her keep him. <laughs> I 
The Apostle Paul had a problem on every pew in the church in Corinth. A problem on every pew. These people were thoughtless. They were reckless. They were shameless. They were selfish. They fought over the gifts of the Spirit. They played spiritual one-upmanship. Well, I have a better gift than you. And in addition to that, they were sexually promiscuous. And add to that, they fought over the Lord's Supper. The affluent folks would come early and eat up all the stuff, and by the time the slaves came for the Lord's Supper, there was nothing left for them. Paul had a problem in every pew in Corinth. And how do you help a congregation like that? So, he corrected them. He reasoned with them. He tried to instruct them. And finally, he stopped appealing to their brains and started to appeal to their hearts. For the first 12 chapters of 1 Corinthians, he tries desperately to untie a knot that these people have created in their culture. And he finally gives up, and he goes for a timeout. Timeout! 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, I want to introduce you to a five-letter word that can make all the difference in the world to you. Agape, love. A-G-A-P-E is the anglicized version. And when he talks about agape love, he says, I'm interested in using this unique term to express the love because it is not eros, because it has so much more to do than with sex and romance. And it's not phileo. It has so much more to do than with friendships. And it's not storge. It has so much more to do with something other than family loyalty. He said, I want to talk to you about agape love. Agape love that cares for others because of the extent of the care the Savior extended to us on the cross of Calvary. This love is beyond sentiment and chocolates. This love is of God's invention. This love says God loved us first. This love says, yes, you've made some mistakes, but I can put them in proper perspective. I can extend forgiveness to you. This love says there is patience for you when you are stressed out. And this love says there is kindness when the culture isn't interested in extending any. He's talking about the love that God has offered to us in Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. Faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Could this be a prescription for us? Could it be a prescription for us? I watch young families with uh, new babies. And you know those parents hover over that little child. And for the first couple of months, the child doesn't give them any response. The child doesn't smile. But they bathe that child. They feed that child. They do everything in their power to keep that child happy. They change the child. They show the child off. They take pictures of the child. The child doesn't give much back. In a sense, it's agape love. It's the kind of love that demands nothing and expects nothing in return. I know very little about the Amish community. Yes, I know they're Christians. But they have a lot of rules and rules that I'm not interested in. 
They uh, are basically pacifists. They do not embrace electricity. In 2006, five little Amish girls were murdered in a schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. Do you remember that? And the murderer killed them, and then he took his own life. And before those handcrafted caskets were lowered into the ground for those five little girls, they began to do a redemptive thing. That Amish community started a fund to take care of the murderer's widow and the three children that belonged to them. And I don't know much about the Amish committee, uh, community. I don't know much about their rules, but I know this. They have a heart. And the agape love that they showed was a terrific example for the likes of me. You see, agape love has nothing to do with pouting or bartering. Agape love enjoys giving. Agape love forgives even when sacrifice is involved. And agape love is so tough that it's willing to do the redemptive thing and say no to certain things in our culture. Agape love is really personified in Jesus Christ. You don't really understand the cost that has been extended to you to, to establish your net worth by God's grace in Jesus Christ. To surrender to that love is to invite a peace that surpasses human comprehension. You probably have seen one of the Gadsby films, the great Gadsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald gave us that story. Of course, it's a story of a very desperately lonely young man, substantial affluence, trying to impress high society with his mansions, his clothing, his parties. You know the story. But do you remember the end? Nobody came to his funeral. Nobody came to his funeral. The real economy that you and I deal in is the economy of God's redemptive love. And when you participate in that economy, you extend love, but you can also anticipate love coming back. 1 Corinthians 13 is not a series of definitions about love. It is a series of descriptions about love that are very, very succinct. The Russian ballerina Pavlova had just done a performance, came off the stage, and a reporter visited with her. And the reporter asked, now what was it that you were trying to say as you danced that particular number? She looked at him and she said, do you think I would have danced it if I could have told it? You see, the Apostle Paul dances through 15 doable descriptions of agape love. 15 of them. And they are succinct. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist in its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rather rejoices in that which is right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. Faith, hope, and love abide. The greatest of these is love. You know, there's an epigram seeping into the antiseptic core of the medical community. And this is the epigram. Without love, nothing can be healed. Without love, Nothing can be healed. 
And whatever is the opposite of love, anger, apathy, hatred, fear, is intimately interwoven with disease. You are precious in God's sight. When you see that cross, that's the primary message that ought to get across to you. You are precious in God's sight. You are needed to be part of God's redemptive program. And you are valued. The better you understand the cost, you better, the better you understand your net worth. Linda and I have had the privilege of meeting literally thousands of people over the years. And grandparents have always been intriguing to us because they come up to you and they show you pictures of their grandchildren. And they tell you about little Johnny that won a wrestling award. And they tell you about little Susie that was outstanding in her recital. And they go on and on ad nauseum. <laughs> now we have four grandsons. It's our turn to be obnoxious. And we're just happy to do it. We love those little guys. They make a difference in our lives. You know, I learned to ski on wooden skis. Long, inflexible wooden skis. They were absolutely unforgiving. They had points at the top. Very pointed skis. And then you kind of put your boot on, and it went into a metal cup kind of thing. And there were leather straps that came back, and a spring on the end of the leather strap, straps that went into a groove on your heel. And so that was your setting for your skis. That's why orthopedic surgeons drive Mercedes. <laughs> so I learned to ski on skis like that. And uh, I don't know, uh, you've seen them, I'm sure, where decorators take those skis and they put them up in ski lodges, nail them to the walls. Or in a rec recreation home or a vacation home, you'll see skis like that. And it hurts my feelings. Those are my skis. <laughs> well, if you go to many of the ski areas in the West today, you'll see big fluorescent signs that simply say in the middle of the slope, no straight lining. Do you know what straight lining is? It's going straight down the hill, no turns. You're going to kill yourself or somebody else. It's what those people were doing over there in Russia at the Olympics. You saw them go down 80 miles an hour, all that kind of stuff. That's what straight lining is. And they don't want you to do straight line. No straight line. But that's the only way I knew to ski. The, on my bucket list for a long time has been the desire to ski with these grandsons. So last Tuesday, I had the opportunity to ski with two of them. Ian is 12 years old, and he is a boarder. He has gone to the dark side. <laughs> and Reed is eight years old, and he's a skier and doesn't intend to become a boarder, and I know I like that kid. <laughs> well, here we were up in the Rockies, 10,000 feet up there, blue sky, the sun was out, the snow was perfect, the air was clear, it was wonderful. And we had a great day. Ian's over there shooting in and out of the trees, going off jumps, trying to do 360s and 180s, and, and Reed, the very sensible child, is skiing with me, and we're having just a wonderful time going down the slope. And I can only tell you the pride, the joy, the ecstasy, the love that I felt seeing those guys enjoy something that meant so much to me was just thrilling. 
But then this thought hit me. How much more must the Heavenly Father feel in terms of joy when he sees us practice agape love? You have not only been dusted with kindness, you have been immersed in kindness. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have extended your love to us in Jesus Christ. It is, indeed, beyond our abilities to explain it. We thank you, O God, for truths that we can discover but cannot defend. The love of Christ just is overwhelming to us. Help us to be practitioners of that love in this new week. May none of this week be wasted. Help us, O God, to be part of your redemptive program. We pray in the healing, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.